Creative Sandbox Way Podcast, Episode 159. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, and I help professionals connect the dots between creativity, play, and work so you can be more productive and innovative improve the bottom line, and be a better leader in all areas of life and work. This podcast explores the stories of people who make creativity and play an everyday part of how they do business. Plus, you'll hear expert insight from cutting-edge researchers, thinkers, and authors studying the impacts of play and creativity in today's workplace. My mission is to show you not only how play and creativity can help you get ahead, but why it's an essential tool in your kit. Now let's start digging in the sandbox. Today's episode is sponsored by Create and Incubate Retreat. Last year at the retreat, which by the way, this year is September 13th through 16th. Last year at the retreat, everyone was there except one person. And she was one of only two newbies. Everyone else had been before although it was a new venue for all of us. And it's a rural place in San Juan Batista, California. And finding the building where our incubator room was, the room where we all work, where we all do our creative stuff, was, uh, you know, it took a little, it took a little doing, especially after driving for a long way. So this last person, she calls my cell phone and she's on the other side of the the venue, the campus. And so I give her directions and she's really worried that she's the last one there. She's actually, she's not late. She's totally on time. But you know, she doesn't know anybody. And you know that feeling when you don't know anyone and you're coming to an event and you feel nervous and you're kind of anxious and you have no idea what it's going to be like. And I can tell over the phone that she's feeling kind of anxious. You know, she's been driving for a while and she, yeah, she's, she's feeling pretty anxious. So a few minutes later, she drives up and I run out the door of the incubator, this uh, house like structure where we're all, you know, setting up to work. And I wave her into the carport and she gets out of her car and I just run up to her and I give her a big hug. And I can see that she was totally not expecting that. And Later, I think it was the last day of the retreat after she's, you know, she's really relaxed at this point. She's totally at home. And we're sharing around in a circle and she says, Melissa, you know, it just meant so much to me that you just gave me a hug when I drove up. I mean, she just like ran up to me and gave me a hug. I mean, we'd never met. And I was so stressed about being late. Now, of course, she she wasn't late. She was actually totally on time. But she felt late because she was the last one there. And she said, you immediately made me feel like I belonged, like I was part of the retreat family. And that is just how we roll. That's just how I am. And that's just how we do things at Create and Incubate Retreat. And if you come 
to create an Incubate Retreat 2018, which is the sixth annual Create an Incubate Retreat, I will have a hug for you too. And you can find out more about the retreat and you can hear from people who attended last year's retreat. Some of them have attended every retreat, all five of the previous retreats. You can watch video videos that people made to share their experiences over at the retreat page, create an incubate retreat.com. That's create an incubate retreat.com. It's really small. There's space for only 12, including me. So that's 11 altogether. And almost everybody from last year signed up. So um, there's only a couple spots left. So I'd love to have you if you would like a hug. Does it have your name on it? It's just waiting for you. Anyway, I have a guest conversation today with Amber Ray. And her introduction is on the other side of the transition music. I'll see you on the other side. All right, so today's guest is Amber Ray, called a millennial motivator by Fortune and the Brene Brown of Wonder by Mind Body Green. Amber Ray is an artist, author, and speaker whose work invites you to live your truth befriend your emotions, and express your gifts. Her writing blends raw personal storytelling with actional aha moments and has reached more than 5 million people in 195 countries. Her public art has spread to more than 20 countries, and she's spoken to and collaborated with brands like Kate Spade, Apple, Amazon, and Unilever. Amber has been featured in the New York Times, Time, Fast Company, BBC, ABC, ABC World News, Tim Ferriss' blog, and more. Previously, Amber helped launch six best-selling books as chief evangelist of Seth Godin's publishing experiment and started an accelerator for your life called The Bold Academy. She lives in Brooklyn and around the world with her fiance, Farhad. Did I pronounce that correctly? You did. Oh, great. Well, welcome, Amber. Thank you. I'm delighted to have you here. You have written a wonderful book, Choose Wonder Over Worry, which is coming out on May 15th, and which I just finished reading last night, The E-Galley. And yeah. It, yeah. I'm... <laughs> I was so delighted to get a chance to read it. It's beautiful. It's luminous. It's inspiring. It's moving. And I really wanted to bring you on the show because everything you talk about, everything you write about in your book is in beautiful alignment with what I talk about in my book, Mm. Creative Sandbox Way. And here on my podcast, the Creative Sandbox Way podcast, and in my community, the Creative Sandbox community, and my listeners, and my Creative Sandbox community members will recognize a lot of overlap between your philosophy and my own Creative Sandbox Way principles. So of course, I had to have you on the show. So I was delighted when I got 
the email uh, asking to be on the show. And I have to confess, and I'm just going to jump right into it right here, right at the start, that getting the invitation also triggered all of my envy monsters. Because (laughs) here you are, you're young, you're beautiful, you've got this huge platform. I just looked at your Instagram numbers and here's my comparison trap monsters going. You've got 36.7 thousand Instagram followers and my comparison trap monsters are going, Melissa, you only have 2,000 Instagram followers. You have a book deal with a traditional publisher and you have a ton of the kind of traditional success that has been totally elusive to me. So my comparison trap monsters just went bonkers, right? When I I got the invitation, Amber would like to be on your podcast. And so I had a choice, right? I had a choice. I could say, no, I don't want to interview this person because she triggers me way too much and (laughs) makes me feel like a failure, right? Mm. Or I could say, hey, this is a fabulous opportunity to open myself up to what envy has to teach me. And how perfect, because you talk about that very thing in your book, Choose Wonder Over Worry, which is all about getting curious about what our emotions are trying to tell us. So let's go there. I love it. Let's talk about envy. So first off, I just want to acknowledge you for vulnerably opening that and sharing with me what came up for you. I feel like that was exactly choosing wonder over worry. Worry is like, eh, I shouldn't do this because I'm triggered. But wonder is like, you know what? This is an opportunity to learn. So I feel like that just captures the essence of what this is all about. So I love that. And the way I talk about envy in the book is that envy is inspiration in disguise. And so there, you know, throughout my path and I've had, I remember one of my best friends got her traditional book deal was like, she has like 120,000 Instagram followers. (laughs) There's always a bigger number, right? And she was like lacking in this bread and lacking in this art project and doing this and doing this. And I was sitting there thinking, what's wrong with me? And so I think it's so natural to get caught up and looking at what other people are doing and thinking, you know, am I not enough? Is that, does that reflect my self-worth, my ability, my value, my talent? And so when we can, instead of saying, "Ugh," like, and we push that away, we can look and we can say, oh, that's interesting. That must be illuminating untapped potential within me. That must be illuminating what I really care about. Because anytime, you know, anytime we feel something, it's either um, positive, negative, or neutral. And if it's neutral, it's just not for us. But if we have a negative reaction, like, and I don't even want to go positive negative, but if we have like excitement or let's say like meh, expansive or not expansive, um, that's illuminating something for us and showing us an opportunity to grow. So I love that you said yes. I love that we're having this conversation and I love that we're learning here together. Isn't that the awesomest thing? It makes me think about many years ago. So I, I used to be a professional calligrapher and one of the products, I'll call it, that I used to sell is called a ketubah, Jewish marriage contract. Mm. Oh, yeah. Do you, you know what you've heard of that, what a Jewish marriage contract is? I was in Israel three years ago for this community trip, and I met this couple, and they had had it hanging on the wall, and so they were telling me all about it, and I found it fascinating. 
Yeah. So every Jewish wedding has a, one of these documents, right? So right at the time when I was transitioning out of being a ketubah artist as my main business offering, as my main identity, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next, I encountered another artist online who it was art. I just loved what she was creating. I just, it's like, I, I wish I made art like that. It was so beautiful and, and delightful and whimsical. And she didn't only make Ketubot, but, but she did. That was some of the art that she made. And then I discovered that she lived like three blocks from me and my envy monsters just mm-hmm. went nuts. And for about three days, I was consumed with envy. And then I thought, okay, I have to do something about this because this is not serving me. And so I wrote her a fan letter. Mm. And I said, you want to meet for coffee? And we did. We met for coffee at the Starbucks a block and a half away. And I ended up um, confessing to her how um, what was happening in my life and how frustrated I was with my life and that I I wanted to, you know, make a change and stuff. And we became, we ended up becoming really good friends. Mm. And, and it was such a great moment for me. I realized that when I'm experiencing that moment of intense, burning, awful envy like that, the best thing for me to do is to reach out to that person. So Absolutely. it never serves me to, you know, get like that tight, constricting, reaction never serves me well. Mm. I love that. Yeah. How do we celebrate the people that we envy rather than make it a reflection of our, our own worth? Yeah. It also, you know, it also makes me think about, and I wonder if you have others, you have so many wonderful stories in, in your book that you, you shared and were so vulnerable and so open about, I hope people pick up the book and and read them because they're so beautiful it makes me think about back in the nineties when I was taking art classes and I was taking a ceramics class with a woman who shared how a lot of teachers will hold back Mm. on some of the things like their special things that they do. They won't share them because they're afraid of other people stealing them Mm. and going on and, you know, stealing their special sauce. Right. And this teacher, her philosophy is, I'm a teacher, and my job is to give you what I know. That's what I do. And so she, and she said, yeah, there are people who take what I teach, and they, they copy my style exactly, and then they sell it. And that's fine, because they're never going to be able to do exactly what I do anyway. They're going to even if they try to do exactly what I do, it's never going to come out exactly like me because it's coming through their hands totally, and their soul. Discuss. Yeah, I read something recently that said something along the lines of, would you rather the idea, like when someone, if someone steals your work or when someone steals your work, A, that is sort of them saying, you know, look on you. And that's almost a congratulations. And two, was the point to get the credit or was the point for the work to get out there? 
Yeah. And so I love going back to that because I, I, it's happened to me too, where people take and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure those are almost my words, <laughs> but totally fine. And it's fine because the message is spreading. And, you know, I have my, like when I write, it's this visceral embodied channeled experience, not all the time, but when I really tap in and go there, it's the most incredible experience. And part of why I write is a, to have that feeling and that experience, and then two, to share what comes through on the other side. And so if someone takes that and repurposes it or repackages it, because that's part of their own journey of discovery, because I often feel like, like I had to steal before I found my own way. I had to take, you know, Austin Kleon says, steal like an artist, pull from every point of inspiration and weave that into a a mirage of your own or a a blanket of your own making. And so I feel like when we can focus on, oh, the thing that's so important to me is getting out there and spreading more, um, it takes our ego out of it and it goes to why we're doing it in the first place. Oh my God. And that, that really nails it. It's the taking the ego out piece that feels so, I don't know, so important and yet such a hard piece, I think, for so many oh, totally. of us. Totally. I had a friend a few weeks ago, I had this big brainstorm about um, these interactive experiences I wanted to do around wonder. And I had written something on the chalkboard that she felt like I had stolen from her. Like there's, there's, mind you, 250 ideas on a chalkboard. And there was this one idea, which she felt like I had stolen from her. And she sent me this rant about don't steal my ideas, come up with your own ideas. And like, and she was going through a hard time in a hard moment, but it was a bit of a shock for me to be like, whoa, a, I, that I wasn't even referencing. I hadn't even connected the dots, but B like how some people really are triggered by that scarcity of thinking that, you know, there's not enough that may get taken from me. Um, and I wonder how we move into more of an abundant, there's enough space for all of our gifts. There's enough space for us to be inspired by each other. I think some of the greatest work, you know, I think of um, the times of Picasso and who he was hanging out with and how that influenced his work. And so I, I get joy. I have friends who come over for a writing group and we all influence each other. And I feel like it makes us, it elevates everyone. Yeah, that makes me think about, it was a year or so ago when some people that I know online all at the same time without realizing it came out with the same idea for a course. I don't even remember what the topic was, but they they realized, oh my God, we're all doing, you know, whatever the topic was, we're all doing some variation on this same theme. And they had this momentary panic oh my God, what should we do? We're all going to be, you know, they were planning on launching all around the same time and it was the same topic. And ultimately they decided, I think it was three women, they they decided, you know what? There's room for all of us and we're Mm -hmm. all going to be doing slight variations. It's all going to be different. We all have, you know, audiences of people who respond to us because they like what we're doing. And, you know, somebody who responds to me may respond to something about my vibe or whatever, and they'll choose to do my course. And somebody else may respond to you because of your vibe and they'll choose to do your course. And it's all good. 
It's all good. We all have a different flavor and it resonates different with everyone. It reminds me, someone, I feel like everyone lately is like, I want to be the, or I've heard this for the last probably five plus years. I want to be the next Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, okay, Oprah was one woman, first off. And secondly, the next Oprah, I don't think is one woman with a microphone. I think the next Oprah is a hundred thousand women with a microphone speaking their truth and sharing their voice. And I feel like, you know, it could be one person who has a large reach or every single person realizing they're part of this collective truth telling, this collective giving their gifts, their collective um, finding what brings them alive and, and creating and pursuing that and knowing that we're all doing it together. And that's the next Oprah, I think, because mm-hmm. we all have the ability to impact and resonate with all kinds of different people. Well, that brings me full circle because I think like what helps me when I'm experiencing an attack of the envy monsters is, you know, you know, so I, I get an invitation from, you know, somebody who wants to be on my podcast or something and I go look at their credentials. I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to achieve that kind of success. I'm such a loser, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Ad nauseum. And what helps me get out of that, you know, ego-driven place, right, is coming back to where am I really right now and what is happening really right now in my life that's actually making a difference, you know, that's actually working. And I think about the real people that I'm really impacting and that I'm really connecting with. and. Well, sure, I'd like to impact more people, right? You know, if I had a bigger platform, you know, a larger audience, presumably I would be making a difference for more people, impacting more people's lives. But I think about the real people whose lives I'm changing because mm. that's what matters to me, right? Mm-hmm. And But I come back to that and that is so grounding to me. And then the envy monsters, like those gremlins, they just, I talk a lot about sending my gremlins off to get pedicures. (laughs) I love that. And they just like, they just sort of like tiptoe off to get pedicures all by themselves. (laughs) (laughs) So great. So great. So now I'm feeling envy because I really like that analogy. Wished I would have had, like talked about them going off to have wine or going off to get a pedicure. Love that. (laughs) So yeah, it's coming back to, you know, the, that letting go of the ego and coming back to what are we really doing it for? Mm-hmm. And anchoring in what we're already doing that's making a difference. And yes. And the gratitude. Exactly. Get to do that. Right. In fact, I did that very thing. I was writing in my journal this morning and I was writing like, what am I, 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 w- I was like, what does envy have to, th- have to teach me? It's just mm-hmm. one of your questions. Mm-hmm. What, what does this emotion have to teach me? And throughout the book, I love, you have so many wonderful journal prompts and, and beautifully, a lot of them are beautifully illustrated with your, with your calligraphic art really. Mm. And as, as a former calligrapher, I love anything that has <laughs> word art in it. And, um, and so I was writing about that and, and it can, it always comes back to gratitude, doesn't it? I was writing about, you know, I'm in a relationship with my, 
dear, sweet, beloved husband who we've only been married since 2013, but just like knowing that that relationship is so solid and, and the, that I'm making a difference for real people, even if it's not like a million people, it's still, it's like real people's lives that I'm changing and affecting in a positive way. And like all of that envy and comparison trapitis, just like, Mm. it it takes the air right out of it. Mm-hmm. So that gratitude is such a, such a key piece. Such a key piece. And it, that comes back to, I, I have another thing called my golden formula, which is self-awareness plus self-compassion mm-hmm. equals the key to everything good. Mm. Love that. I want to write that one down. <laughs> <laughs> Literally writing that one down. <laughs> So I want to come back to your book, Choose Wonder Over Worry. Not that we ever really left your book, but one, uh, God, there's so many places of resonance and, oh my God, just so many, even though I'm 20 years older than you, so many places where um, I resonated with the things that you wrote about and places of your story. I also have a history of eating disorders. Mm. And um, I mean, it's so much of the human experience that, that everybody goes through with the the self-doubt and the um, comparison and envy, the, the things that you write about. So, and you talked about being so afraid to write this book Mm. and that it all, it almost didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So talk about, why, why you wanted to write the book in the first place? Yeah, I feel like I had to. It was literally, I could feel the energy of the book in my body. And it was like in my pelvis region and I could feel it pulsating. Mm. And it was the most, you know, I, I have the like word intellectual answer of like why I had to write the book. Of course, there's people who are worrying, there's people who are anxious, dealing with these emotions, not knowing how to navigate them. But really, I could feel in my body this book. And it was like, you must make me. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let's do it. And, you know, I mean, the book has always been the dream, like my my entire life since I was a young girl. And having for a long time, I was a shadow artist, as Julia Cameron calls it in the artist's way, where I worked with a lot of authors and a lot of creatives. And I was the catalyst or the accelerator. So I was behind them, helping them to clarify their vision, to clarify their voice, figure out the idea, figure out how to package the idea, figure out how to launch the idea, like the whole like start to finish of it. And after supporting, which was deeply fulfilling work to see those ideas go into the world. And then I realized one day, whoa, I'm getting resentful because I am putting so much of myself when I want that to be me. Yeah. But I was so afraid to like step up and into the light and so afraid to believe that my voice mattered. I had a mentor once tell me when I shared with him my writing that no one cared about my story. And while I'm sure he was super well-meaning when he said that and I was so, I was like, this is when I was like 25. So I was so. My jaw just hit the floor. Like, <laughs> like who would say that? Yeah. I feel okay, like so he was trying he to had, give useful feedback. <laughs> he had some issues, that guy. 
And he was, I mean, when I think about, so I was 25 and when he said that I was so like struck and so hurt by the words that I wasn't, I didn't think to get curious. What do you mean when you say my story doesn't matter? What are you really trying to say? What worldview is this coming through? Instead, I just, I actually believed for about five years that my story didn't matter. It was really, it was was quite tragic actually, but a very interesting learning experience. And, um, but where was I going with that? Story doesn't matter. And so, yeah, so that was part of, because I believe my story didn't matter. It's like, let me help other people do their ideas. And then I started to realize that everything I was telling them was everything, all the advice I wanted to give myself. Of course. And so seeing all these people I was supporting as a mirror, it just was like slowly me realizing, wait, this is my path. And there's some stories I'm telling myself that are bullshit, that aren't serving me, like my story doesn't matter. And that came from someone who doesn't really believe in the art of vulnerable storytelling, which (laughs) is fine because he has a very different writing style. But unfortunately, that's like my thing. (laughs) And so... And it's, it's funny because full circle now, he's been super celebratory of me with this book, The Path I'm On, and he just really now believes in women telling their stories. So he's had sort of a whole like full circle <laughs> on it. But so yeah, I felt like I had to, and I felt like there was this message to be told. And I felt like it was, a you know, we're living in a time when um, anxiety and worry can really cost us our life. And it was costing me my own life. So I was it was everything that I was experiencing, I realized was a reflection of what a lot of other people were struggling with. And so I, I just felt like I had to go there. So I want to rewind a little bit back from that. How did you get into helping other people launch their own thing? So funny. You know, I only just connected this dot now. <laughs> so I, just, I took a leap from uh, San Francisco to New York, left the world of tech, and basically decided to do this crazy thing where I quit my job, sold everything I own, and moved across the country in 48 hours. And when I... 48 hours. 48 hours. And when I wrote about it, because Tumblr, this was like 10 years ago when Tumblr was a thing. When I wrote about it, it went viral. And so then, and it was a pretty raw piece about where I was at, how I was feeling disconnected, how I was feeling empty. Um, I didn't go into like a whole lot of details, but said, I'm going to New York to basically find myself. And so then I started just blogging about my feelings and my experiences and what I was thinking about and what I was struggling with. And people kept saying, me too, me too. And you know, when I had started this blog, my only intention was to have a space to process my feelings. And I didn't actually think anyone would ever want to read it. I was like, why would anyone ever be interested in this? But then the more raw and the more honest I was, the more people reached out, um, engaged, and just you know wanted more of it. And so once I made that leap and then started having it was it was kind of a, a like I look back and I don't know how this happened, but within three months three months of getting in New York, I had launched this idea called New York Night Owls, and it was late night coworking. So from nine p.m. till three a.m., we would bring people together to get stuff done. And in like three months, it ended up being on the front page of the New York Times, ABC World News did a story on it, and it spread to 20 cities. Oh my God. So it was one of those like freak ideas that you like throw against a wall and it really works and takes off. And so basically from the point of leaping to like doing that to then it was six months later, I was chosen to work with Seth Godin on the publishing experiment because he had a whole like application process, blah, blah, blah. So I'm writing about this. So nine months into this, people are like, okay, this girl's figuring something out. 
like she like took this giant leap and she's able, she's been able to figure out, cause I didn't have any savings when I went to New York. She's able to figure out how to like make money, turn around, get press, land this job with Seth. Like, can I learn from her? And so, and I, I, again, did not think that people would be reaching out, but then suddenly about a month into working with Seth, I started getting a lot of emails from people saying, Hey, I've watched you make these leaps. Can you help me too? And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And at this point, I think I was about 25 years old. So I thought, why would anyone want to ask advice um, of a 25-year-old? <laughs> that's insane. But let's actually try an experiment. Who knows? So I, I turned it into what I called the passion experiment. And I remember my first, my first client, we ended up getting her a 15% raise. I helped her write the script for it after her first call. She ended up starting her own consulting company by the end of the four weeks and had her first client. And then it was like another woman who I helped with her memoir style writing and then a different creative who wanted to make art and do this around the world trip. And I just basically started supporting people on designing their work around a life they wanted to live. Wow. And started having a lot of success around that where that became like after the, because the experience with Seth was a six month experience. And then after that, it pretty much started to become my full-time thing until I self-sabotaged, went off the rails for three months and then finally came back. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> you, you, have to t- you have to talk about that now. Oh boy. Yeah. So after the thing ended with Seth and after I had, you know, I was having so many people apply to work with me, I felt like, oh wow, I, I found a thing that I love that I enjoy doing and I know is creating a lot of value for people. And immediately I thought there's no way this will work. I'm going to fail. I'm going to run out of money. I went immediately so deep into worry that as soon as this opportunity came to work with a stable startup, I jumped on board and it was so out of alignment with what I cared about. You know, it was like sort of old Amber working in San Francisco. It was like a year in, I had all this success and I couldn't handle the success. Couldn't handle like the media and the clients and working with Seth and how everything was going. It's like completely self-sabotaged. And Gay Hendricks calls this upper limiting. And he said that basically we have a thermometer for the amount of success, abundance, joy we think we can experience in our lives. And when we go above whatever our thermometer is set at, so let's say mine was set at 90 degrees, maybe I'd gotten to 92 degrees and I was like, whoa, this is too much. Things are too good. So I need to self-sabotage to bring myself down to where I'm more comfortable. And so I did that by joining this startup with this guy who had a ton of funding and he wanted me to like run a new direction of his business. And so I did that for three months and gained 30 pounds in the process, started breaking out in hives and rashes and just like became a shadow of myself. And I couldn't believe how quickly I like went from feeling on top of the world to literally having a panic attack and thinking I was dying. It was three months. And so it was just, and it was when I had that panic attack. Oh, and I like started sleeping with the boss. That idea. <laughs> if I'm really honest. <laughs> it was just like, literally like, I look, I'm like, I could like win awards for the level of self-sabotage here. Like, what was I, like on all areas of life, what was I thinking? I like went all the way. And then, <laughs> and then from there, um, the panic attack was the wake up call. And that's when a friend of mine was like, yo, what happened? What happened to all that work you were doing? Something has to change. And so I went to, I took a trip to Barcelona for like a week. And there, that's when I realized, okay, let me recenter. Got to quit this immediately. Must go all in, even though I'm terrified and let's do it. And so I went all in on the sort of 
passion experiment, sort of working with an individual's work. And that ended up, ended up leading to me starting the Life Accelerator program called the Bold Academy, which I started with a friend, Nathaniel, and then led to all different kinds of iterations of that, whether it was a six-month mastermind, workshops, one-on-one, um, and did that till the point of working with probably about, a, I don't know, a couple thousand people in different formats, and then realized, whoa, my writing, which I loved, led me to all these things, which led me to helping all these people. And I've actually forgotten about my writing and all the things that I loved in the beginning. (laughs) Funny how that works. (laughs) And so that's when the like shadow artist thing kicked in. And then, you know, and then it's like a pendulum. You like, you swing all the way one side and then you're like, whoa, too much. Let me swing all the way to the other side. Wait, and then let me find my middle. And so after that, I feel like I then went into extreme. Let me just be an artist and a creative and just do what I want and do what pleases me and makes me feel good. And then I was sort of like, okay, and have it help and guide others. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, t- so what happened in the extreme artist, please only me do what, do only what I want phase? Well, and interesting because the project was called the world we want. I was creating interactive installations in public spaces for communities to share the world they wanted to live in and what they would do to create that world. So while it was like very actually community and impact oriented, I was doing it because it just brought me deep and pure joy. I wasn't thinking like, um, I guess, yeah, actually maybe I was, maybe it was a guiding people more than I realized at the time. Um, because people would gather in community spaces and write about the world they wanted to live in. And the project ended up, um, I went to actually Palestine and Israel. I went to, um, Sydney, Australia, I went to all these different cities and countries around the world. Um, and then I was just like exploring mixed media art and doing, starting to do more lettering and just exploring sort of creative me without thinking at this point I had a good amount of savings. Mm-hmm. without thinking about how I'm going to actually sustain my creativity. So maybe that's more what I meant where I wasn't, it was more that I wasn't at all thinking about a business model. Okay. Is actually probably more where, where the pendulum went to. Yeah. I so hear you on that pendulum thing though. It seems like, I don't know. It seems like we have to do that. I mean, I don't know if everybody has to do that, but I can say that I've certainly done that. <laughs> swinging the pendulum this way and then that way, and then eventually finding a sort of middle ground. Totally. I'm never drinking again to like, okay, um, <laughs> drinking all the time because life is fun to like, okay, let's, let's get it together. <laughs> yeah. Moderation 365. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so funny. Yeah. So let's talk about, um, some of the things that you talk about in your book, Choose Wonder Over Worry, one of the things that I, I noticed right away is your, your word worry is essentially the same as I use the word gremlins yep. or your word worry. Um, so let's talk about some of the ways that, that worry or gremlins show up because there are many. So many. So many. Well, should I speak a little to toxic and useful? Yes. Yes. Let's yeah. talk about that because, because as you say, it, you know, it's, it's so easy for us to think that, that worry or gremlins are just negative, that, yeah. that we just, oh, if we could just get rid of them. But yes. it's, that's not true. It can that's be very a- useful. 
Totally. And I think the biggest thing, one of the biggest things people ask me is how do I get rid of my worry? And I said, actually, let's first by starting on the language you use about your worry, because we don't get rid of worry. We get rid of old clothes and leftovers, but worry has evolved with us through thousands of years and it's going to stay here with us. So actually let's learn to work with it. And, you know, I, I did, I met with um, Dr. James Doty. He's a neurosurgeon at Stanford. And he said that about 80% of our time and attention is spent with regret about the past or anxiety about the future, which is <laughs> essentially worry. And I read somewhere else, and I, I need to find more about the source, but the source said that 97% of what we worry about is not more than a fearful spinning mind. And so most of what we worry about is that toxic worry, which is the looping thoughts Am I good enough? Can I do this? Did I do that right? Should I regret that? Will I regret doing this? Those thoughts that go on and on and on. And so that's, that's the sort of toxic worry that paralyzes us. Um, but in addition to that, worry can be super useful. Useful worry is like if you're swiping right on Tinder and the guy says, hey, baby, come over right now, you know, that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're like hiking and standing really close to the edge of a mountain, you know, worry might be like, hey, back off. Or if you go to meet someone on a first date and they say, I'm never interested in commitment for the rest of my life, then that's really important to me. Well, like, probably leave. <laughs> but like all those red flags from my lousy ex-boyfriend, those I probably should have paid attention to. <laughs> yeah. And so worry, you know, can be super useful because it wants to protect us and keep us safe because it wants us to live and procreate. <laughs> And so realizing, you know, when we're dealing with useful worry or toxic worry is really important. And the questions I like to ask myself anytime that worry is coming up is one, is this useful? Yeah. And two, is there any productive action I can take right now? Because if it's not useful, if it's not a real possibility, if it's not in our control, and if there's nothing we can actually do about it, then it's just a spinning fearful mind. And so how do you tell the difference? Well, I asked myself, is this useful? Which sometimes I'd be like, yeah, of course it's useful. I need to be like thinking about this right now. And then I'll ask like, is there any productive action I can take right now? Well, no, not really, because I actually can't control this outcome. Right. Or no, because thinking that every sentence of this essay is really terrible is not going to support me in finishing the essay. <laughs> I could have used that so much back when I was, quote, trying to be a writer mm. back in the mid '90s, and my worry—I didn't have the—I didn't have any terminology for this back then. I didn't have terminology for gremlins. I didn't have terminology for worry. I just thought I sucked as a writer, mm. and so I would type something and then say, "Oh my god, that sucks," and delete it all. And go off and procrastinate. Mm. And it's ultimately how I ended up becoming an artist and calligrapher. But, and I didn't write for 15 years. Oh, oh. I know. Sad. Isn't that just like, so, it's so sad. <laughs> yeah. I needed yeah. your book. I needed my book. <laughs> I needed, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, feel, I always say that the difference between a shitty writer and a really great writer is that the really great writer finished a lot of shitty essays. Amen to that. <laughs> shitty yeah. writer just didn't finish one. Exactly. Or as I like to say, we need the crap. It's the crap that fertilizes the good stuff. 100%. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. So when our inner worry voices start speaking up, what do we do? How do we learn learn from those inner worry voices as opposed to being paralyzed by them? Yeah, so I have three steps. And I, I feel like you were speaking to it earlier with your gremlins going to get pedicures. I love it. <laughs> um, the first step I like to do is name it, name it to tame it. And so it's identifying whatever it is and putting a name to whatever your worry, your anxiety, your overwhelming feeling is in that moment. So let's say I'm writing and my worry voice starts saying, this is terrible. No one's going to like this. They're going to judge you. You can't say that. If I pause, if I like, get hooked in that, I will paralyze, freeze and stop writing. But if I say, wait, pause, worry is showing up. Let me name it. Worry is saying, you're not good enough. Everyone's going to hate this. And I'm feeling like a perfectionist right now. And as a result of that, I'm feeling tight in my shoulders and I notice my heart beating faster. It's just like being able to notice and bring awareness to whatever is happening in that moment. And what happens when we do that, and this is neuroscience shows that we reduce the anxiety associated with our uh, sensation by up to 50%. When we can just like pause, get awareness, and we come back to the present moment. So instead of the thoughts spinning, we create distance from them and we're able to be like, okay, breathe and I'm back. I'm here. I'm in this moment. And then once I know name, like, you know, because there's many forms of worry, I think perfectionism is a type of worry. Envy is a, you know, a sibling of worry is being able to name whatever the emotional experience is. And then once too, you've, once you've named the emotional experience, you talk to it. And so for me, that looks like if I'm in the middle of writing it, that same example, I'll say, okay, hey, perfectionism. And I've actually named perfectionism Grace. And she's this 30 year old Mm -hmm. British woman who likes everything in a perfect box and she has blonde short hair. <laughs> and so because I can actually visualize grace, which is my perfectionism gremlin, my perfectionism worry voice, I can say, and I can sort of like understand, okay, what, what's going on here? What does she want? What is she trying to teach me? And, and um, let me talk to her. So I'll say, hey, grace, what is it that you want me to know right now? Or what's up? What's going on? Sort of like if a child is throwing a tantrum, we wouldn't like punch them in the face. We would say, hey, what's going on? Let's talk about this. And so in those moments, Grace will say, well, I just really care about this book and I just want this to go well and I want it to resonate and I want to get to you feeling in flow. And you know, that's when I'll say, thank you, Grace. I want that too. But right now I feel like you're really clenching me tight and I need space to get messy. Can you go like sunbathe while I get back to writing because I need to create a shitty first draft. And then all of a sudden it's like ease. I've brought ease back in. Yeah. And then the third step is to make a request. So to say, and I sort of did it in how I finished that, but it's to say like, Hey, right now I need this knowing. And it's, this is like a way of like nonviolent communication with ourselves and understanding what the need is under the emotion. Because there's always like, if envy is showing up, there's a need. Or if anxiety is showing up, there's a need that's likely not being met. And so when I know that the need in this moment is that I need space to make something bad so I can later make it good, then I can sink into that and then create the space for that to actually happen. I love it. So, so beautiful. So... I would love it if you can talk a little bit about how 
a specific story about how the impact of choosing wonder over worry um, has worked in your own life. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe what was, what, what was your own personal biggest worry that held you back? Yeah. So, Ooh, I just got goosebumps. Um, The thing that comes to mind for me is, so I lost my dad when I was young and he was this like, you know, I didn't know him well. He left when I was quite young, but got in this bad accident and basically because he was drinking and driving and using substances. So it wasn't really facing himself. And um, so I had this fear that men I love will leave me and I'm not worthy of love. Mm. And so my biggest fear, and I was, you know, and I didn't really notice this until my mid early twenties, which was that I was always seeking the approval of men. I always wanted men to like me and validate me. And if they didn't, I thought something was wrong with me. And I, you know, this, the way this showed up is that I sometimes dated emotionally unavailable men because they would reinforce the story that I'm not worthy of love, that I'm not lovable and that men I love, I would love them and then they would leave. And so I would kept repeating this pattern. (laughs) And finally one day I was like, what's going on? (laughs) Let me again, choose wonder. Let me get curious about what's at the root here. And that's when I started, you know, really connecting the dots around, oh, this is because there's grief around losing my father and grief around the absence of a father that I never really allowed myself to feel or to acknowledge. And, you know, I I felt like for much of my life, I had this father-sized hole in my heart and I was always trying to fill it with accomplishments and validation and alcohol and wine and Adderall and performance and all the things. But ultimately realized that I, only I could fill that hole and I wasn't going to fill it with self-destructive or, you know, sabotaging behaviors. And it was on me to realize that I would never leave or abandon me. And so, you know, even the story about men I love leaving me and even the story of like, it's because of the absence of my dad was actually, he was a mirror for me to realize that I wouldn't leave myself. And it was never really about him. It was about how that created a story in me that I would leave me. And so that became the work to realize, you know, and what, because this still comes up with my fiance. Sometimes I have these like visions of him getting in a car accident or like thinking he's going to die or if it's like something's up with his health, I immediately think the worst case scenario and go into toxic panicky worry. And that's when I have to say, I will never leave me. I will never leave me. And it, I almost feel like sometimes I pick up my inner child, hug it and say, it's okay, we're safe. You know, I have to tell you that you shared some of that story in the book and it struck me so deeply. Mm. And I did not have an abandoning parent. I grew up in an intact home and you know, no substance abuse, no abandoning parent or anything like that. And when you shared that story, of realizing that it all came down to you understanding that it was you, you know, you not abandoning you. That was so profound and it Mm. touched me so much because like I have, (laughs) very interestingly, I have a lot of the same kind of, I don't know, an emotional touch points or whatever that you do, even though our childhood and whatever are really different, right? But 
uh, you know, a lot of the same like perfectionist issues and like, you know, overachiever issues and stuff like that coming from, you know, different roll of the dice. And that was very, very profound and really significant Mm -hmm. for me to, to like read that and hear that realization. It was just like this huge, um, very important for me. So I'm Mm -hmm. very grateful for that revelation. Like, wow. Cause I have those same, I have a lot of, I'll, I'll have those like, Oh my God, what if my husband gets in a terrible car accident, you know, Mm -hmm. on the way home or whatever. And I still have that. It's not that that fear is ever going to go away, (laughs) but, but understanding that like, I will never leave me. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Mm. What a profound gift that you've given people with that story. Mm. Thank you. That, that means a lot to hear that. Yeah, that's really profound. So, um, yeah, you've written such a beautiful book. I hope people will, will go out and pre-order it and buy it. It's so beautiful. And it's the kind of book that you can, you know, what it really reminded me of in a lot of ways is the war of art. Mm. In that you could open it up and just like kind of throw a dart at it, you know, and open it up to any page and and glean something wonderful from it. And definitely you'll want to read it through start start to finish, but it's also the kind of book that you'll want to keep on your shelf because you could, you know, open it up every day and find something and glean something new from it. So it's mm. really beautiful. So did you bring something cool to share? I did. All right. What's your something cool? So I, a recent purchase of mine has been the Danielle Lepore Desire Map Planner. And I wasn't all that familiar with her work previously, but I had a friend who kept talking about this notion of goals with soul and how beneath anything we want to accomplish is something that we want to feel. And when we can identify our feelings then we can plan to feel the way we want to feel as we do the things we want to do. And because I was mid-book launch and overwhelmed and things were getting crazy, I figured, okay, let me give this a shot. And so I found it on Target because I don't think she's selling them right now. I think she sells them in seasons, but I found one on Target, ordered it, and it literally has changed my life. Oh my God. And like, I didn't actually think a, and I was, I was definitely envious to be honest. (laughs) I want to create a planner and a notebook. And I'm like, damn it. She created what I wanted to create. (laughs) But I mean, you start by like, what are your core desired feelings every day? And then, you know, your top three, you've, you reflect on what isn't working, what you want to say no to, you reflect on gratitude and it's just like a really beautiful balance. And oh, and every day she has a soul prompt that changes. So it's this beautiful balance of a quick moment of like three to five minutes of reflection and introspection with like priorities and let's get stuff done. And so it's just helped me like, like I, I look forward to the moment to anchor every morning and to answer the questions. And so it's just helped me so much with what matters most. Fantastic. I love that. That's a beautiful something cool. And I actually have one more thing. Can I share one more? Yeah. So it's this perfume. Um, I'm really into perfumes that are non-toxic and that are made of essential oils. And so it's this brand called Olivine. And she makes, it's, they come in the most beautiful boxes. And they're like the, the little bottles I feel like are like inspired by the 1950s. And 
my favorite scent is She Belongs There. And so they're these like beautiful branded and named perfumes that are good for you. Wow. Very cool. Oh, I'd love to get the, I'll have to get the link to that for from you. Very totally. cool. I love it. My something cool this week is a movement. Mm. It's called the ethical move. And it's a friend of mine from a community called co-commercial. We're both in this community together and she is committed to ending consumerism. Mm. And this movement, it's the ethical move.org. And I'll put a link in the show notes. And so she, I had a long conversation with her about, about this whole topic. Actually, she's going to be on the podcast in, um, I don't know whether this, her episode is going to be before <laughs> this episode goes live or after, but she's going to talk about this whole thing. But the ethical move is all about removing charm pricing from mm. pricing because quote unquote charm pricing is when prices end with like seven or nine ninety nine or whatever, instead of, you know, round numbers. So like, instead of charging $40, you charge $37 for something because the only reason for charging $37 instead of $40 is to get people to buy more. Mm. And it, it, to sell more of the thing, yeah. um, especially for, this is something that started uh, in the digital, in digital marketing, really mm-hmm. the whole digital marketing movement. It doesn't have any benefit except to sell more stuff. Um, and I have signed the pledge at the ethical Ooh. move because I'm tired of being sold in an sold to in an unethical way. And I don't want to be part of the problem. Mm. So I have changed my own prices to round numbers. And yeah, I just think it's a really cool movement. I'm sick and tired of consumerism and I don't want to be part of the problem. So that is my something cool this week. I love it so much. Move. So yeah, spreading the news of the ethical move. So cool. Well, Amber, this has been so fun. Cool. Really fun to talk to you. Really fun to get to know you and talk about your book. And I'm super excited for your launch. I hope it goes really well. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Of course. This is amazing. Such, I literally had goosebumps about 20 times um, (gasps) while we were talking and I felt like, I don't know, something was moving through me. So I feel really grateful. Yay. Well, I'm really grateful to you and I'm so glad you're spreading this fantastic, beautiful, beautiful message. And Mm. I hope, I hope your launch goes fantastically well. Thank you. And thank you for your reflections again. They meant so much. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for coming on the show. Yay. That's it. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Amber Ray. Let me know if you resonated and thank you so much for joining me today. If you are getting value out of this podcast, share it with a friend, and I would be super appreciative if you would take a moment and hop on over to iTunes, the Apple Podcast Player, as they're now calling it, and leave a rating and review. Those ratings and reviews are so, so important because that is how other people find the show. We are now up to 113 ratings, I believe, 112 
112 ratings and 98 reviews, and you can bump us up to 99 reviews if you hop on over today. And if you don't know how to do that, if you don't know how to leave a rating and review, I've got you covered. I've got step-by-step instructions over at creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes dash review. That's creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes hyphen review. I walk you through all the steps. And here's a really cool thing. If you email me to let me know that you left a review and let me know how the podcast has made a difference in your own life, that's how you can apply to be considered for the listener spotlight. If I pick you, we'll have a really fun, really relaxed conversation, and you'll get to be featured on the podcast just like Amber Ray was featured. Now, Amber Ray paid a PR company (laughs) to get on the podcast, but you could get on the podcast just by leaving a review on iTunes, the Apple podcast player and sending me an email. That's pretty cool. So go leave that rating and review. Here is what B.A. Pierce wrote on April 19th. So really recently, her review was entitled Validation and Authentic Fun in Our Creative Process. B.A. Pierce writes, have been listening to Melissa on and off for about six years. Hype is gleefully absent, and the workings of the heart come across clearly to me. Enjoy. Big smiley face emoticon. That's it. Super simple. So that is it. Go up to iTunes, leave a review. That's how how people, other people find the show. That's how you can help really change the world. So that's it. Until next time. Thanks again for joining me. And as always, go get creating. Subscribe at creative sandboxway.com slash podcast.